welcome to the MLM.com podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins. Today we will be joined by Mark Rollins, the founder and CEO of InfoTrack Systems. Hello, Mark. Hey, Kenny. Today we want to talk a little bit about compensation plans um, and some of the research that uh, we've been doing at, at InfoTracks. And just to give a little bit of background, how long would you say you've been in the industry? What uh, I've been in the industry for 37 years. Uh, and I bought uh, the predecessor to InfoTrax 35 years ago. So it's been a while. And we, and we were just discussing, we think that over that time, InfoTrax or its predecessors would have written uh, in the neighborhood of, of more than 500 different compensation plans. Uh, that's what I would think. Um, I know it's more than a couple of hundred, but uh, probably not a thousand. Yeah. And that's across various different, whether we're doing compensation plan consulting or programming the compensation plans to be run on our system uh, or converting old clients to come onto or uh, existing companies to come onto our system are helping clients validate whether their commissions are correct. Yeah, and and because of that experience, one of the things that that we often get asked is some variation of the question: Is my compensation plan quote unquote working? Um, and, and because of that, you've spent a lot of time written two books on compensation plans, and we've spent a lot spent a lot of time as a company evaluating what does it mean to work well and and my favorite question is is always people who come to me and say you know i know you know the perfect compensation plan that would work and that you, that you would do if you ran your own company and so that's the one I want. And you got, and it's such a bizarre question because if I knew the perfect compensation plan I'd sell it to somebody. And but but the the true answer to that question is there's no such thing as the perfect compensation plan. There are uh, compensation results that um, that you can be better or worse at achieving. And, and that's what we want to talk about is how is it that companies should judge their compensation plan and what it and this is obviously an ongoing thing for us we spend a lot of time and resources in in working with companies to analyze their comp plan but what we wanted to do in this episode is kind of discuss what it is that we're learning and what we're seeing uh in the industry so let's start by having you give us kind of an overview of of how your thoughts have evolved as we've looked at data and gone about this in, in more of a scientific method over the years? Okay, so uh, initially, when we first started trying to analyze compensation plans that worked, uh, we, we'd say, well, here are you know four or five stair-step companies. How do they compare with each other? But then we found there's really no way to compare compensation plans even that are relatively similar because you have to take into account the the side the growth phase the company's in uh, you know one of the rules of compensation is that um, adrenaline outweighs compensation 
strategy. If you have a company that started up and all of a sudden people are excited about the compensation plan and everybody's out there and they're just super excited, that they can create adrenaline that then they that that trumps all analytics. But at some point that adrenaline wears off. That's when you need to know that you have a good compensation plan. So back to your question of how do we know if a if compensation is good. So after going at it a lot of different ways, here's kind of what we've settled on is that there are five basic types of people who are in a company. There are consumers, people who joined only to buy the product. They might sign up as a distributor to buy it at wholesale, but they're a consumer. Two is what we call a social enroller. Uh, they will bring people to your company, but uh, they would also they also convince people to go to a movie they liked. They just, they like convincing people to do what they're or, doing. Or use a particular app or drive a particular car. And the, oh, yeah. the, the motivation isn't necessarily money. And, and what we have found about social enrolls over the years is they do not want, a true social enroller does not want the responsibility of being a salesperson because they want to convince you to do it without having any uh, consequences if it, it's wrong. So Right. And, it, it, and they just don't want to have the responsibility to follow up and all these other things. Right. But they can be very valuable to a company in terms of bringing people to them. Then those two are really consumers. Um, and then you, the three business types of distributors are salespeople, sales leader, and what we call dream builders. Uh, and that's really who you should be compensating. And so what we have really focused in on the last few years is coming up with the criteria of what is a salesperson, what is a sales leader, what is a dream builder. And then if you can identify the activities, the behaviors that each of those groups do, then you can say how much of my compensation dollars are going to each of these groups. And then there's a couple of other groups you have to consider retired sales leaders and dream builders and uh, the lottery winners, the people who signed up one person and that one person signed up 90% of the people in your company. Uh, both of those are two groups you have to consider in compensation plan analytics, but they're really not a type of distributor. And when you're talking about categorizing people, this isn't, <clears throat> our view is that that this isn't a categorization that a person tells you. They don't say, hey, I'm a dream builder or going to be a dream builder. And it's not even something you judge based off of income. It's You judge it based off of their behaviors, right? That the data is going to tell you what they are. And then by categorizing those people based on their behaviors, you then overlay their earnings and say, how effective is my compensation plan? And I think we ought to take just a real quick aside 
you know, because you talk about consumer, and one of the things that we learned long ago is that there are a bunch of distributors, quote unquote, that are actually consumers and customers. And here, I, I think longer than just recent years, but it's become another touch point again in recent years that that becomes a black eye on the industry, right? I just read an LA Times article uh, about MLM and, and talked about one of the prominent companies right now only having paid 23% of their distributor force in the past year. And and to us, that's not surprising, but it's because we're miscategorizing. It's, it's not only not surprising, it it it's what it should be. Right. Because if you take everyone who buys product from a company and call them as distributors, which has become increasingly popular uh, over the last 20 years, then, uh, yeah, 80% of the people who buy product from the company shouldn't make any money because right. if the only people who buy product are people who want to make money, then your company is going to die. So right. we've got to find a better way of getting them in. Uh, and as, as an industry, and it's something we're struggling with because of the Vima case and the Herbalife case, what is a customer? What is a salesperson? And, and I think you're going to see the industry, and I think we're starting to see it kind of zig back the other way and make it more clear to people, hey, if you become a distributor, you are engaging in an entrepreneurial endeavor. Right. Uh, and, and you're even seeing it where people aren't offering wholesale discounts and things like that anymore strictly to distributors, right? Because you get even on Amazon, you get if they're, subscribe and save program right so you could have customers that are on a recurring order that they know their customers you're not treating them like distributors so i think moving forward in our conversation we're really looking at the latter four how are we compensating because social enrollers you might compensate in a different way but you're still compensating them whether it's through a referral bonus or some sort of product credit or something like that right but the, the big thing there is, is once you can categorize these really four distributor types and then these two categories off to the side, the retirees and the, and the, and the lottery winners, uh, and then you say, okay, if once, once we, and we've worked very hard on this and we're making some real progress, but once you have a good definition of the activities, the behaviors, the, the, the subjective uh, activities that you can measure, once you have a good marker on those, then objective you... Objective activities that you can measure. I'm sorry, objective. Yeah. Uh, I always get subjective and objective mixed up, so it gets me in real trouble. Um, okay, objective uh, uh, activities... Uh, and behaviors, then you can say, okay, what percentage of total compensation is going to social enrollers? What percentage of total compensation is going to salespeople, uh, sales leaders, dream builders, lottery winners, and retirees? And then you can start to compare 
across industry norms. And that's something that we're very enthused about, we're working very hard on, is to get these industry norms sort of nailed down so that we can tell our client, hey, you know, here's where, where you fit, because we have salespeople who earn as little as five or 6% of, of the wholesale dollar, or, uh, and uh, or little as five or 6% of the earnings. And then you have companies where the salespeople earn 50% of the earnings. Um, and what's right, what's wrong, you know, within a range, it depends on your product. But if you, if the salespeople are earning 100% of the earnings, then you're not really a direct selling company as we know them today. And if a salesperson is earning 5% of earnings, then you're not really a product-focused sales company. Yeah, and, and I think that is the thing where for so long, people judge a compensation plan based on the earnings that it produces instead of based on uh, the behaviors that it drives and therefore how it's rewarded. Um, and, and that's part of the shift that we're trying to make is to, I mean, I think about it a little bit um, in the way that sports analytics have evolved over the years where, you know, baseball used to <clears throat> really judge people a lot on like RBIs, right? Well, runs batted in is not something that I strictly control, right? I have to have people ahead of me in the lineup that are getting on base so that I even have that opportunity. Um, and and there's a lot of ways that you can benefit a team that, that show up in more nuanced and advanced statistics than RBIs or in basketball. Well... Uh, the movie Moneyball um, uh, was one of my favorite movies, and in the 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 scouts were sitting around deciding to draft. One person said, "I don't think we should draft him because he has an ugly girlfriend." And they says, "What?" And he says, "If he has an ugly girlfriend, it means he's not confident." Yeah. Uh, and you go, that's a criteria we're going to use for drafting somebody. And, and, and in, and in uh, direct selling, multi-level marketing, party plans, we have had over, and we still have, the equivalent of that type of thinking going into compensation plan decisions. Yeah, and yes, exactly. And you see that in, in the fact that you sit down with somebody and you you sit down with a company who says, hey, why is our compensation plan or why is our company going the wrong way? And you say you're paying a disproportionate amount of money to these couple of people. And based on all the data, they're not driving any growth. They're not driving retention. They're not they're not driving any of the behaviors you'd like to see. And they say, ah, but, you know, they're really out there. They're working hard and they're holding these big meetings and, and they inspire people, you know. And that inspiration factor should translate into measurable results. And, and far too often we've got people, you know, like you say, it's that uh, he's not showing confidence. They're not inspired or this person's inspiring someone. Uh, and the number of me of say of uh, 
of compensation consulting meetings I've been in where the VP of sales is so invested in their relationship with the 10 top leaders. And, uh, you know, so if you talk about making a change, it reduces it. You, you can't reduce Bill's income. I mean, Bill is out there on the road every weekend. And, he's in the, and, and, I, and they, they lose objectivity mm -hmm. uh, on that. And so, but there, are, but there is, I think, one thing that people, that companies can look at that I don't think a lot of companies do look at. It's salespeople and emerging sales leaders. So people who were earning a few hundred dollars a month. How many of those people stay with you without growing to the next level? Because the majority of your company salespeople will always be salespeople. Some percentage will grow to sales leaders, but a very few percent. And then a very few percent of sales leaders will grow to be dream builders. And so are people content to become a salesperson and stay a salesperson? And if, you, and if a company looks at those earners and they either promote or die, that is a very objective criteria that companies can look at and, and, you know, determine whether or not at a very high level is their compensation plan successful. I mean, we're talking about some really in-depth analysis for really fine-tuning a compensation plan with the, the tools and the techniques we're, we're doing. But there are things companies can do without having to spend money with us or any other analyst. They just look at people and look at persistence. Well, I, yeah, and I, I think that that is true, is that people need to start looking at their own data with maybe a, a different lens. And, and I would hope that by listening to this and thinking about it, um, that people would do that and start thinking about, okay, what are the behaviors that we're reporting? And then, yeah, how is the longevity um, across people who, yeah, don't get to your higher ranks, right? That don't aren't making tens of thousands of dollars a month, but are making a few hundred up to a couple thousand dollars a month. Um, are you able to retain those people? But then I also would hope that out of this, people would start being a little bit more discerning in the advice that they take when it comes to compensation plans. Um, because there are so many people out there with such fuzzy objectives, right? I, I mean, really, any anything that you're doing at this point, like I said, I hearken back to sports, right? If you can't inf if you can't implement a strategy and then see the results of it in your data, you've got to wonder about that strategy because the the end game and with as as much data as there is out there at this point that that all companies should be collecting you should really be able to see the effectiveness and it can help combat a lot of the stigmas that are pervasive about multi-level marketing right because right. you have a better 
fill for what your field is. You can help them understand what's going on. And you can start finding organizations that that are driving abusive uh, recruiting um, behaviors, right? If you've or got... turning a blind eye to it, yeah. Uh, you know, I I mean, I think companies should say, "Hey, are you a customer, or are are you a salesperson?" And do salespeople need inventory? Yes, they need a little inventory. It's hard to sell from empty wagon, but if but I think companies should put right up there. You should never have more inventory than you need for a month's worth of business or two weeks' worth of business. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's just, it, it gives, if, if, if you are pushing inventory on distributors, it's like pumping water into a water pipe. You pump enough water into that water pipe, it will explode. Right. Uh, you know, and that's what happens to companies who are pushing inventory on distributors, not pushing product to the hand of customers. It, it, and there really should be <clears throat> some sort of evaluation process of saying, okay, if we have any, any distributor, consultant, whatever your terminology is for your company, that's purchasing more than X dollars of product across a couple of months without receiving Y amount of commissions, we ought to be reaching out to that person and making sure, you know, and there are some people who run boutiques or whatever and are really just turning retail sales. Right. But there ought to be that reach out from the company to make sure that you're not. That they're not just buying product. Because, because someone's telling him to. Telling him to. Yeah, that, that you're not enabling predatory practices. And that's the thing that's both encouraging to me and in, in some ways discouraging. It's encouraging that we have more and more data and better and better analytics. It's discouraging if we don't turn that into to actionable behaviors where we can help uh help individuals because this really is a, an industry that's a, about empowering individuals and we should do that both by helping them achieve the most success possible but also preventing them from being deceived right and just one last uh, thought on on this as we're kind of running out of time on this podcast is this is I think the golden age of direct selling. Um, because, you know, 30 years ago, if you were signing up and, you know, to, to, and somebody wanted to sell you product, the first thing they had to do was get you to understand the model. Wait, you're going to bring this product to my house? And where's the store? Where's. But now people buy product on the web all the time and it's increasing all the time. But it's getting to the point where having your product show up in the search engines is, you can't do it. You have to, so you're going to, a company's going to spend 30, 35, maybe even 40% of their total dollars in marketing and then in paying Google or being in Apple store or whatever 
to sell product on the web. Well, that's what a commission plan pays. And so now if you have distributors who bring distri customers to the website, rather than paying Apple or Google or all, you know, all these players, rather than paying them to bring them customers, um, they're paying the same amount of money. So uh, now it used to be that the, the knock on the industry was the product was overpriced and you know undervalued because they had to have the way to pay the commissions. But that's not true anymore because if you have a really unique product, it's going to cost you that much anyway to sell it. Yeah, and it, it, I think people are more skeptical and questioning because there's so many channels to receive a product. And then every product is knocked off so quickly that you don't right. know that you're – you. Now, reviews and um, word of mouth and endorsements, you know, personal endorsements of a product mean so much because people are starting to question, you know, the quality. Am I getting a knockoff? You know, right. what's behind all of this? Yeah, who is this company I'm buying from? Yeah. Uh, you know, are they a legitimate company? Are they, uh, yeah. you know, uh, are they a front for the Russian mafia? who's selling me this cheap product so they can pull my credit cards and, uh, and other information. And so having someone, a friend of yours, who says, I have dealt with this company and this company has integrity, uh, is, is incredibly valuable. And as I said, you do not have to pay any more for that than you would to get your product sold over an e-commerce channel anyway yeah yeah and like you said we're we're running out of time but i appreciate you taking the time to to bring us up to speed on kind of where we're going as an industry and, and as a company uh and and i think it is valuable for companies to know that there are people out there investing in this because it's going to become more and more important that we recognize and and uh, reward behavior specific actions. Uh, yeah, well, just one last thought. It is interesting that for most companies, their commission expense is not just the biggest expense they have, but it's equivalent to all the other expenses they have in some, in many ways, in, uh, in, uh, in many cases. Uh, and yet they will haggle with UPS and FedEx and USPS to try and get a 1% discount on shipping rate, they will spend weeks and months analyzing, doing all these, and commissions, they just throw it out there and hope it works. Uh, I'm hoping that the day will arrive soon when people put the same kind of uh, of energy into analyzing whether they're getting value from their commission plan that they do analyzing whether they get value from their shipper or from their manufacturer or, or from any other expense that they have. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with it. And we will, we will end on that note. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. 
That's it for today's episode. Again, I'm your host, Kenny Rollins, and we want to thank you for joining us. A special thank you to Mark Rollins for his time and expertise, and a thank you to Jana Bangeter and Adam Holdaway for production support. We hope you'll join us again next time.